Hello and welcome to the Startups Roundtable. I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Teamworky is built to help companies solve pain points and empower teams. And on this episode of the Startups Roundtable, it was my pleasure to speak with Diego von Sosten, who is a co-founder and CEO. At Teamworky, Diego is on a mission to help teams build alignment and psychological safety by leveraging their product-generated AI-based insights on team morale and potential blockers. Diego is in charge of product strategy and marketing demand gen, and we started with him introducing himself and telling us a little bit about what he's up to at Teamworky. Perfect. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've been over 10 years in the tech scene, and uh, I'm originally from Brazil, living here in Canada for about three years. And uh, I started out as a software developer, but then it didn't take much time for me to realize that I wasn't passionate about that, but I was passionate about working with developers to solve problems. And then I transitioned from that to project management, product management. I've been in the B2B space for a while in a large company here in Canada, in a large agile company too. And now I'm a team working full-time and really committed. We are a team of three, really committed at making the whole process for other teams, which includes development teams, better when it comes to building alignment internally and also making sure that they have psychological safety and they have a culture of feedback. I must say that when I was looking and trying to understand what it is that you're doing, the idea of team alignment was 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 great, and the way that you're doing it is really smart. But the focus on well-being and have, having well-being at the centre, that's important. But I can't imagine that anybody could ever live in a time where it's more important than now. Could you maybe talk a little bit to how that's maybe become more, become more pronounced in your planning and in your strategy? even the when you just started? Right, 100%. So the project that we are involved with now is uh, the project that I always wanted to develop. I just didn't know about it, but it was really the outcome of working with many different teams, most of those software development ones. And uh, we were basically looking in retrospect about what traits the highest performing teams we have been part of had and the ones that were in a more negative space, let's say, had in common as well. And then we started to uh, research the market, talk to experts, and really see what people are saying about that. Google took uh, Google ran a research, a massive research a few years ago, where they're interviewing about 180 teams they had, trying to understand also that difference between high performance and low performance. And at least when it comes to development, uh, in the software space, it seemed to be about two things. Uh, the highest performing teams, they have alignment. They know the direction they're headed. They know the why. They know the problem they're trying to solve. And also, because I'm from Brazil, I had to talk about soccer. You don't put a goalkeeper as a striker. So people were in the places where they could be the best version of themselves and they're adding something to their careers as well. Uh, so that's one thing. And the second thing was really about that Google also came to realize those teams, they, they care about each other. Really, it's a genuine feeling. They have a culture of feedback where people provide feedback 
very often. And it's not necessarily manager and employee. It's also peer to peer. So uh, there's a lot of transparency about suggestions. And that's because people got to trust the process. They trust whoever they are surrounded by to solve those problems, to help them unblock any potential blockers. And they have visibility over that. So they built that trust. The whole idea of Teamwork US can we develop something and equip team leads all around the world, primarily mid-market companies are feeling those growing pains to build that alignment and also kind of establish that psychological safety. The psychological safety is something that I'd never read or heard that term before I found Teamworky. And when I thought about psychological safety and your experience and background with product marketing, demand generation, and strategy, is that a term that you're having to educate people around before they can truly understand what your mission is? That's your reality. Uh, and it really comes down to the cohorts and the segments that could benefit from a product like ours. If you're talking to developers about psychological safety, the ones that are in very forward-thinking, uh, agile businesses, they will get that. The people that are in more traditional organizations, they might not uh, have heard about it. But still, if you leave software development and you go to other groups, people won't necessarily grasp what you mean. But uh, if you use words like morale, employee morale, employee engagement, people get that. So we are always back and forth in terms of positioning, the words we want to use and how we want to tell that story because many players in the SaaS space try to solve the problem around lack of psychological safety, lack of openness towards feedback. It's really about safety. Uh, if I don't feel safe at work, I won't feel uh, excited about bringing something up because I won't trust that that will be tackled somehow, right? So uh, we are still learning about how we should train that, but uh, we are definitely playing a role in educating people and kind of connecting the dots. So alignment leads to psychological safety and psychological safety can also lead to alignment. You've put it in a way that makes a whole lot of sense to me. And as you then start to talk to organizations and to start to bring them along, could you maybe speak to how you plan your growth and thinking about finding people who are interested in your story, but being able to get teams to engage so that the, the change is sustainable. Exactly. The place where we started in the initial problem that we were trying to solve was very similar, but using different words. It's always about how we frame it. So in the beginning, we, we are noticing a lack of agile practices in companies that were preaching that they were agile. So uh, the whole concept about fake agile and delivery that takes a lot of time and lack of customer feedback and all of that. So we were basically building a toolkit where people could run retros and one-on-one -on -one meetings and create that culture in there. But then we realized that we were just scratching the surface of the main problem that we were trying to solve. The root issue was really the lack of alignment and the lack of those safe spaces at work leading to low performance. So that's how we started. And the initial mission about agility resonated a lot with agile teams. But uh, once we started to expand and talk about alignment and safe spaces, which are kind of similar spaces for you to be at, then we attracted people like HR or people ops or even uh, upper management. Believe it or not, since we changed our positioning, we have been getting way more 
upper management uh, C-level professional signing up and using a top to bottom approach in the organizations using a product like ours, which is something that just blew my mind. I always thought that the way we are going to help those organizations was bottoms up. So there is a team, they're having a great experience with it and thinking about product like growth, it would just become viral within the organization and outside. But the other way around is also happening, which is very interesting. That makes a lot of sense to me, actually. And as we, we live in this, this COVID world right now, people are trying, large organizations are trying to work out how to truly engage teams who have been working remotely for months now. And sadly, that, or, well, let's not say sadly, it's going to continue. There's no getting away from that. As you're a, you're a product and a growth guy as well, you start to think about the, that Horizon 1, Horizon 2, Horizon 3 strategy. Could you take me a little bit over the horizon and, and share what some of the, the future trends are that you're trying to work out how team working maps to and, and supports? As we started uh, getting more feedback and more people in our ecosystem, we learned more about how we could help them solve that same problem. And we understood thinking about acquisition and growth, we understand that there are power users and there are buyers. And when I think of HR and upper management, in many cases, they're still the buyers while the team leads are the power users. Uh, it's not a rule. As I was saying before, you're getting more people uh, on the other space also becoming those power users, especially in smaller organizations. So what are we trying to to uh and the way that we're trying to leverage those learners and grow our company to the next milestones and make this a unicorn uh, will be with solving a problem across the organization. Uh, because until very recently, we were very siloed. Uh, someone would sign up for a product, they would have a great experience, but it wouldn't be that experience to the point where they would advocate for the product, become those champions that would uh, expand that culture throughout the business. So we understand that we need to speak HR language and we also need to speak upper management language to some extent. Uh, and the way that we are doing that is really uh, tweaking our product roadmap based on that input and making those buyer personas part of that experience. So we don't want HR, for instance, to be able to open someone's one-on-one agenda, right? That's a very sensitive. And every once in a while, someone asks us for that and we say, no, I'm sorry, that's not the direction that we are headed. However, we can equip HR with non-sensitive information around the positive and the negative sentences and keywords that are being brought up across the board. If everybody's talking about delays in a retrospective, in a 101, in a Slack survey or Microsoft Teams survey, we believe there's something in there that could be uncovered. So uh, as a team lead, all you want is to be supported as well, right? So if people above you also have that visibility about what are what the main highlights and what the main blockers are in your team, and you can equip that information, pass it along to HR directors, C-suite, they can help you make decisions for the better, right? For, for a greater good. So it's really about looking at those people and thinking about them as users, not only as the people who would put the company credit card in the system. You've actually hit on something that is a, a, a core belief for me as well, and that's about language. And when I saw how you drew out key words to be able to show the sense of morale or the sense of, of sentiment inside an organization, I thought that was so smart. And 
it, it keeps it at a level that it doesn't personalize it, but it allows an executive team to go, oh, that's the way our people are talking right now. When I fulfill my role, I'm in a business development role with a tech company, I will frequently use word clouds, and that doesn't make them a super magic, but I'll go and find an annual report or an executive's uh, presentation, take all of the words of the presentation, put it into a word cloud, take it down to 20 key words, because there's no mistake in what an executive says, because it's gone through so many hands, you find out the core truth, because there is no accident in that language. Could you just take a moment to describe what I've seen on your website and what you're talking about? Because if someone's listening to it, they, they won't have the sense of it. And I think it is such a powerful element of what you're doing. What we're doing is really, in a nutshell, disrupting the way we look at employee engagement at work. So far, you know, the experiences we have been part of were all about tools that were purely driven by HR, where a company would set up a survey run it within the org, and that would be communication between the employee and HR. The team leads are not often part of that. In some cases, they are, but they don't feel empowered to be part of that process. And as an employee myself, until very recently, I wouldn't feel, being very honest, I wouldn't feel empowered to say something positive in a survey like that if it had friction and if I didn't trust that something was going to be done with that feedback, right? So we believe that there's so much, when you think of an organization, especially high growth in agile organizations, there's so much being discussed every day. You have all those teams who run their retrospectives once, twice, four times a month. You have people running one-on-ones and discussing uh, both positive and constructive feedback. And we have messaging tools like Slack and Microsoft Teams where you could be running a survey, but oftentimes people use different tools for each one of those problems and the data gets lost. And then if you just open an HR tool to see what people are saying in those surveys, that might not connect the dots between that and what was being said at the team meeting. So we believe that machine learning, sentiment analysis can do a lot by connecting the dots, connecting what you are discussing in a team retro, in a 101, and while you're seeing a feedback survey within Slack and Microsoft Teams, connect the dots, analyze the sentiment of those words across the board, excluding sensitive information, and then provide your team lead and whoever else in upper management, which would include HR, C-suite, and other decision makers, with an AI-based powered report every week. And then you can see the score, the health score for your team, for your members, the positive and the negative highlights. And you can dig deeper to the point where you can see that by person without opening their one-on-one, without looking at sensitive information. So it's basically, uh, don't create more meetings. Don't create more tools. Use the avenues that you already have in an organization, but add a little bit of technology to tell that story. Because if you're a team leader, you're a manager, and you're very busy, especially during COVID, and your business might be under the threat of being disrupted somehow, and now you need to change your mission and your strategy, you'll be busy. And you need tools and you need avenues to better explore the data that's being brought up every day. Nobody needs more meetings. The idea of getting that, the leveraging technology to get real-time, almost in-the-run feedback is so powerful. 
we think about in a trading sense, if, if you and I were looking at the foreign exchange market right now, we could have a look at a chart that was taking a, a monthly average, or we could have a look at it in the per second. And to be able to understand what's truly happening in the pulse of an organization, especially when we're working remotely, that's an amazing asset for an organization that's trying to work out how to get the best out of their people. Because everybody makes the assumption and the right assumption that they've employed the best and the right people. So then how do we take that to another level and sustain it? I think it's just such a clever approach to to doing that and what you're doing. You've touched by way of using words just in the last few minutes around the technology. You've spoken about Teams, you've spoken about Slack and machine learning. Could you just give me a little bit of an insight to the way that you think about AI, machine learning, and collaborative tools, where they're trending, and what that means to what you're hoping to achieve and what you're setting out to help companies achieve? Yeah, definitely. So uh, with remote work and that forced shift that affected most of us, there's something about synchronous versus asynchronous communication that has to be grasped as well. I know many places and people who are running four synapses now every day. And uh, I don't think in synapses in the traditional way where there is a meeting, there are you know nine people in a call and uh, there are 15 minutes to discuss it all. So I don't think this is as productive. I think with remote work and change, it also comes with uh, changing the paradigm and how we run our meetings and how we discuss things. So there's a lot of asynchronous communication that happens in collaboration and productivity tools. That's a lot of data on its own. And then you have sessions like a team retrospective where people are going to have that synchronous discussion. But now people are starting to uh, change that. And we, we have leads and new signups. They are running non-traditional retros. Now they create the retro days before. They open the board. They have timeframes for people to add their suggestions, what went well, what didn't go so well in the sprint. And that discussion happens before. And the synchronous piece is purely a 30 to 45 minute session where uh, having voted, people have the discussions because in that type of uh, place, you need people there and create action items. So there's something about not only using more collaboration tools to communicate with other people and get work done, but also having that sensibility about what are the meetings that I can ditch now, what are the meetings that I have to change in order to accommodate that new reality. Nobody needs new sessions or nobody needs three-hour retros. People just need avenues to have those conversations. Given the power of what you can achieve or help organizations achieve, there would be a myriad of options for you to actually grasp onto right now. How do you and and your team go through making those decisions about what to target and focus on with on the roadmap and the, the product strategy? And also, how do you work out today what to let go by? Being a product manager myself and loving that field is definitely, if I were to choose a profession and not being able to use founder, uh, I would put product manager under my name because I just love it. I think there's something about understanding what the problem that you're trying to solve is and who you're solving it for, because uh, we are in that gray area between productivity and HR to a point where if if we go full productivity, we won't solve the problem we want to solve involving the people management side of things. If we go HR, 
then we are uh, we are under the possibility of building something that speaks HR and doesn't get people compelled to bring that data that we need to tell that story. So uh, I feel like having those personas very clearly defined, their expectations, their fears, how their routine is being disrupted or changed with the, f- the, the shift to remote work and trying to understand in the mid-market segment that we are looking at, is, is that really a problem? And if, that, if it is, how does it diverge within the org? Then when you think about upper management, you might think of engineering managers leading teams of software developers, or you might think of a domain engine manager leading a team of you know, website, SEO specialists. We are always refining that, but we are always looking at those personas, uh, looking at the impact that we can bring uh, when thinking about a future and also the time to market and planning that out, really comparing those ideas and understanding what are the things that can move the needle, still trying to solve the main overarching problem that we are trying to solve. It, it's really difficult. There's something about saying no <laughs> as well, right? Because uh, as I was saying before, do I want to open one-on-one meetings and give visibility to the CEO about paging items? No, I don't want to do that. And the day we do that is the day when I move on to another business because it doesn't match what we are trying to solve. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And also this this ability then for, and you talk about the market actually that you're, you're focusing on, the, the small to medium business market, that mid-market, where there would be a wide range, a wide, wide variety of skills and experiences. So you're enabling people to use data and tools and maybe to grow their intuition and to grow their their feel for the team and their feel for the business over time. I'm wondering if there's the reverse of it as well, where somebody might be running a team and they're, they've got it all worked out. How do you break through or do you choose not to break through? And that's an organization or so, that's somebody that won't be a customer of yours. Yeah, that's a great question. We, we had potential customers that we talked to uh, when we were operating only on a free model. Uh, we were on an open beta until very recently when we finally opened the doors and started generating those dollars. So uh, there was all that sensitivity about, is the person that I'm talking to being represented by the persona that I want to target? And uh, it can be tricky to navigate those discussions, but we got to understand that there are enough differences between you know, managers in organizations to make them separate personas. Uh, the whole idea of building personas is you start with hunches and you build those profiles of who those people are, what job title they have, what, uh, you know, people put names and hobbies. And I don't go that far, to be honest, but uh, you start with a hunch, then you talk to dozens, hundreds of people I think you tend to simplify. So, hey, I had 15 personas. It's actually three or four. But then you talk to more people and you learn that you might be missing one or two. So uh, user research really helps you drive that strategy and helps you define who you should be solving a problem for and who you shouldn't. So, um, you know, the cautious manager, that was a, an archetype that we had at some point. We're not looking at the cautious manager that's feeling insecure about their job and uh, needs to micromanage everything. Like that was a type of persona that we said no to. 
when we think uh, at what we have in our primary market right now, I would say that primarily we are focusing at tech companies from that mid-market segment. Just because tech companies historically, they have that openness towards new techniques and putting people first, agility, really, really rare for you to find a tech company that's not adopting agile practices nowadays just because of the nature of how it is. You're not building a building. You're building, you, you can make it a scooter that will become a car, right? You don't need a scooter on day one. So uh, we are starting there. Uh, and then we are learning that we can help not only those software development teams that are having those issues around lack of alignment and morale, but also the sales and marketing teams inside those tech organizations. So we, we are starting there because there's a lot of foundational work that already happened there. So we are not starting from square one about, let's talk about what agile means or you should be running one-on-one -on -one meetings. No, we are going to people who are already doing that and leveraging those avenues in a smarter way than before. That segmentation makes all the sense in the world and I love the clarity of it as well. Could I ask you to close with a, a comment around mentors and coaches and how you think about looking for and identifying mentors and, and what you look to gain in, in taking that step? If one thing uh, that I could say about that, I've been very lucky with the people that I had a chance to work with because uh, when I say product-led growth and when I talk about customer acquisition, power users versus buyer personas, it's really because there was some mentorship in the past and I was able to learn from those people and implement those things. And uh, I feel like it's really important as a founder to be aware of your strengths and your weaknesses. You know, some people don't come from tech and now they're developing products in the tech industry. And it's very different than many other industries, especially if you're doing SaaS, there's so much to be done. And uh, it's really about assessing your skills, uh, talking to people, understanding first the model that you're in, and being surrounded by people that are just smarter than you. Uh, I'd rather be in a room where I, I'm only there to listen and learn than the other way around. So uh, yeah, learning the trends, talking to people, uh, depending on where you are, there are accelerators and incubators doing a fantastic job. And being surrounded by like-minded entrepreneurs that are trying to achieve different problems, but that have that same go-getter mindset and the same ambition. So I think ambition is something good when it comes from a place where you want to solve a problem in a genuine way, in a way that you can impact thousands, hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, right? That sounds like a, a tremendous place for us to, to finish today. You've shared some great insights around how you essentially look at the world and, and bring it down to a point where you think you can bring value to you. You've given some great insights as to how you try to identify that problem worth solving as well and, and how you're building that out. The teamwork story sounds like a tremendous story. I'd love to stay in touch. I really appreciate, Diego, that you'd take the time to join me today. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. And thanks for waking up so early because Canada and Australia are not in the same time zone, I can tell you. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Diego as much as I did. And equally, I hope you learned a little along the way, as I did. Feedback is always appreciated. Thanks for listening and bye for now.